a lawn chair just fell over in the wind outside and I nearly shat myself. Hello everybody and welcome back to Witch Fix. Today we're taking a look at another Ari Aster film, uh, which I said I would look at when I looked at Midsummer. This is actually one that came before Midsummer, but I watched them out of order, so sue me. It is Hereditary, uh, which is a certificate 15, and I'm going to warn right at the top of the episode for a lot of things, uh, which include gore, discussion of death, loss and grief, mental illness, suicide and bugs. I knew even less about this film going into it than I did going into Midsummer. All I knew is that spooky shit happened in it after someone died. And I had seen two clips posted by like a, a horror movie account on Instagram. Uh, one of which is the part where Peter has like a seizure in class. Uh, and one of which was the part with the, the beheading in the car. So I had no context for these things, but uh, I, I knew that they were going to happen at some point. Uh, but aside from that, basically clueless. Here's what the back of the box says. When Ellen, the matriarch of the Graham family, passes away, her daughter Annie, her husband, and their two children began uh, begin to unravel cryptic and increasingly terrifying secrets about their ancestry. The more they discover, the more they find themselves trying to outrun the sinister fate they seem to have inherited. Making his feature debut, writer-director Ari Aster unleashes a new nightmare vision of domestic breakdown that exhibits the craft and precision of a nascent auteur. I hate the word auteur, that's just my first opinion on the matter, uh, but I will agree that that blurb probably gets quite a lot of things right about the movie without giving really anything away about what exactly has been inherited. And going into the film, I had assumed that it was some sort of curse, uh, but this is proved to be incorrect. We start the film off with literally the obituary of the person who's dead in the blurb, namely Annie's mother slash the grandmother of the two children in the story, whose name is Ellen Lee. The obituary gives the names of everyone in the family, so the mum and dad, Annie and Stephen, Annie who is Ellen's daughter, and their two children, Peter and Charlie. This is the first part of the movie, and yet I managed to miss such a gigantic clue, uh, which was really quite shameful on my part, and uh, I'll tell you more about later on. Our first scene with, like, actors and shit happens, and we get introduced to a few concepts about the family which will be uh, used throughout the film, namely that someone in the house builds dollhouses slash miniatures, and this is revealed later to be Annie, who uh, does sort of, like, miniature art, I guess. And we're introduced to Charlie, who is like the young child in the family. Uh, she seems to be a little bit out of sync with the rest of them, a little bit strange. Uh, I couldn't work out why this was, if it was just a personality thing. She seems to be quite quirky and everyone seems to just expect this of her and to be used to it. So uh, the first instance we're given of this is that she sleeps outside in the treehouse sometimes, even when it's really, really cold. And she also makes very bizarre little models and figurines out of found objects like pill bottles and wire. They attend Ellen's funeral and Annie gives a, a little speech about how her mum was secretive and private, had private rituals, friends and anxieties and was difficult to read. So obviously she had a lot of secrets many of which we're probably going to find out about in the movie. I noticed, because I have an eye for ritualistic jewellery, especially in horror films, that in the casket, Ellen is wearing a kind of a weird necklace with a weird symbol on it. Uh, this is a necklace that we also see Annie wearing, and we see this symbol at several points through the film, so I feel like 
it's important to note that. We also learn at the funeral that Charlie has a severe allergy to nuts because she whips out a bar of chocolate and just starts randomly eating it during the wake. And her dad instantly quizzes her if it has nuts in it, uh, which she says, no, it doesn't. They arrive at home after the wake and it's revealed they have a dog. Oh no, I hate when there's dogs in horror films because I spend the whole time waiting for something bad to happen to the dog. But um, although something bad does happen to the dog, you don't actually see it happen, so... I call that a win. Annie tucks Charlie into bed and they have a kind of a weird conversation where Annie says that Charlie was always grandma's favourite, which seems weird because it's like, you know, parents and that, they're not meant to have favourites. They do, don't get me wrong, but they're not meant to say. Uh, but they talk a bit, a bit about that and then Charlie asks who's going to take care of her when Annie is dead. Uh, so this could be like her first encounter with mortality or it could be something a bit more sinister not sure during this scene you can see the word satiny written on the wall not satiny as in like ooh, this fabric it's so silky and satiny but as in satan but spelt with an o instead of an a at the end and then a y it's just written on the wall which annie seems to notice but does not comment on so i guess maybe it's not unheard of for charlie to write on her walls Annie then goes through her mum's things, including a photo album and a book on spiritualism. There is a note to her inside the book which says, and I'm paraphrasing, but it says, don't hate me or despair your losses. In the end, they are worth it. And ends with the line, our sacrifice will pale next to the rewards. Love, mummy. So, I mean, we're talking about sacrifices already. This is, this is not good news. She then also sees her mum in a shadowy corner. And, and her mum gratifying disappears when the light goes on. One thing I really liked about the movie was that it didn't make you look at things for too long. Because if you look at something for too long, it stops being scary. Uh, and it just sort of gave you glimpses of stuff and then snatched them away again. So it kept the mystique. The next day at school, a bird hits Charlie's classroom window. And at break time, she steals a pair of scissors and goes outside and cuts the bird's head off. I guess for keepsies. Uh, so something's going on there uh, we also get to see peter in one of his classes uh, there's a very ominous lesson going on about heracles and how um, the story is about a hero undone by a fatal flaw and how he's arrogant and ignores all the signs and then they pose the question if it's more tragic if someone has free will or if they don't so like is it more tragic to be condemned by your own choices or to be condemned by fate so Obviously, some people are going to make some fucking poor choices. It's also revealed that Peter likes to get high, so th that's his characteristic, I guess. We don't learn that much about Peter, to be honest. Annie finds a weird triangle, like, carved into the wood in her mother's room, because I guess her mother was living with them for a bit while she was ill. She doesn't really remark on the triangle, but she does get her husband Stephen to lock the door so they don't look in there. So maybe she just didn't notice the triangle, but it was pretty obvious. The cemetery then calls to say that the grave of the grandmother has been desecrated. Uh, they get Stephen on the phone and he elects not to mention this to Annie, who in turn also lies to him that she's going to the movies when she's actually going to a grief support group. At the group, she shares what can only be described as ominous family secrets. Uh, she says that her father starved to death when she was a baby due to very chronic depression and that her brother had schizophrenia accused her mother of putting people inside him 
and killed himself. So we seem to be dealing with something like possession. We also learn that prior to the birth of Charlie, there was a sort of no contact policy implemented by Stephen between Annie and her mother because her mother upset her so much. So basically the grandma had very little to do with Peter when he was born, uh, which may be while Charlie was her favourite because she was the only child that they got to see. We also see a worrying like diorama that Annie has made which seems to show her mother showing her how to breastfeed Charlie. Peter then gets invited to a party which he decides he wants to go to and so he asks his mum if he can borrow the car. He lies to her and says that it's to go to a school barbecue and that he won't be drinking so she insists that he takes Charlie with her and then he goes to find Charlie to see if Charlie even wants to go. Charlie, meanwhile, has seen a weird flash of blue light, which recurs throughout the film to various intensities, and it sort of leads her outside, uh, following a trail of already existent footprints to an old lady by a fire. Uh, she is about to go over there when she's stopped by her mum, who yells at her for not wearing shoes while outside, and then tells her that she's going to the barbecue and basically forces her to go with Peter. While driving to the party with Charlie, we see what I'm going to call an ominous telephone pole, which I never thought I'd have to say as a sentence. I kind of already knew where this was going because this is part of the clip that I had seen. But when you see the ominous pole, it does have the mysterious symbol on it. So it is doubly ominous. It's around this time that Charlie starts tongue popping like Alyssa Edwards. But if Alyssa Edwards was coming to get you in the woods at night, so... That was very disturbing. The party seems to involve a huge amount of walnuts being chopped and I question what kind of teenage party this is meant to be because it's revealed later that these are for a chocolate cake but either this cake gets made real fast or it's just covered on the outside in chopped nuts because literally 10 minutes later Charlie is chowing down on a slice of that chocolate cake and doesn't seem to notice that it has nuts in it so... I'm curious as to when the nuts were incorporated or what kind of party teenagers throw where they bake cakes uh, while also drinking and getting high. Anywho, Peter decides that he wants to go and get high with some people, including a girl he thinks is hot. And to get rid of Charlie, he tells her to just go and eat some cake, uh, which she duly does. But obviously it has hella walnuts in it and she starts to go into anaphylactic shock. She goes and finds Peter and he freaks out, throws her in the car and drives off somewhere it's not revealed if this is home or hospital. Again, why doesn't this child carry an EpiPen? The family can clearly afford it, so I don't know why she doesn't have one or why he didn't just call an ambulance to the party, but he, he throws her in the car and drives. She rolls down the window because she can't breathe, uh, thinking, I guess, that will help. Hangs her head out of the window and it gets smacked off by a telephone pole as Peter speeds off at like 80 miles an hour trying to get to an undisclosed location. Peter seems to go into shock at this and then drives home, obviously still with the body in the back of the car. He goes to his room and gets into bed and then the next morning just lies there while we hear Annie going outside to get into the car to go to work, then noticing the body and screaming. In quick succession, we see Annie falling apart. Peter still seems to be in a state of shock. Then we get the funeral and the wake for Charlie. So things are accelerating at quite a pace. On the bedroom wall in Annie and Stephen's room, we see that the word Zazars is now written. So I'm guessing these are some sort of 
weird magic words. Again, these go uncommented on, although how you could not notice it, I do not know. Everyone seems to be suffering uh, grief in the wake of Charlie's death. There are various scenes of people like sleeping in the treehouse because uh, Annie goes out there to sleep and looking at Charlie's sketchbooks and various other things. Uh, so clearly they're all feeling this loss very keenly. While smoking weed with his friends, uh, it looks like Peter experiences some sort of psychosomatic guilt because he feels like he's going into anaphylactic shock. Whether this is because he is feeling guilty or whether because he's been given something to smoke that isn't actually weed isn't really clarified, but it's kind of a weird moment. Annie goes back to the grief meeting uh, to, I guess, talk about her latest grief. And she's about to drive off without going in when she is waylaid by a lady called Joan. Uh, and Joan talks to her about how her son and grandson uh, drowned together and how she understands what Annie's going through and gives Annie her details uh, so that they can get in contact. I do not trust Joan. She seems too good to be true. Annie seems to be falling behind on deadlines for gallery pieces that she's meant to be making because she's making miniatures of Charlie's room uh, and, and other things to try and, I guess, process her feelings. We also see a leaflet for a seance arrive in a pile of post, which is already sticking into the door, uh, but it goes kind of unremarked upon and, and unread. Annie then goes to see Joan and remarks that she has an embroidered doormat, which I didn't even know was a thing, uh, which looks exactly like the ones Annie's mum used to make. So obviously there is some sort of connection between Joan and Annie's mother. So I instantly thought, well, if Annie's mum was a witch and into witchy stuff with witchy books, then Joan is probably as well. They discuss various things like Annie finding Charlie's body and how traumatic that was, but also that Annie used to sleepwalk quite a bit and once woke up covered in flammable paint thinner, having drenched Charlie and Peter in it as well and holding a match that she was going to strike. And that this has created kind of a rift between Charlie and Peter because they didn't really understand that it was just sleepwalking. Whether it was just sleepwalking, we do not know, but that's what Annie's telling herself. Annie and Peter then have a huge blow up where essentially she says that she can't talk to him because he's always smirking at her and just being aggravating and that she wishes that she should could forgive him for obviously taking Charlie to the party and then letting her eat nuts and therefore causing her death in the car uh, but she can't because he won't admit to it and they can't talk to each other. He then blows up at her for making Charlie go to the party so... They're both blaming each other. The dad, Stephen, is kind of very absent in a lot of these scenes. He's just kind of there and quiet. He is the glue that holds this family together. But he's quiet glue. Annie goes to buy some art supplies and randomly finds Joan in the parking lot. So Joan is obviously following her uh, and... Uh, that's quite sinister. Uh, but Joan seems really happy all of a sudden and says that it's down to the fact that she went to a seance. So I guess the, the one that was mentioned in the leaflet that Annie didn't read. So now Joan is here to tell her about it. Uh, that Joan then went to see the medium who taught her how to conjure her grandson uh, and that she's spoken with him and that's why she's so happy. Annie is super sceptical but is sort of pressured by Joan to come back to her apartment and witness this conjuration. Joan manages to successfully conjure up what she's calling her grandson. I have no idea what it is, but basically a lot of stuff moves around by itself, including some chalk on a chalkboard, which writes her a little I love you message. Annie is obviously quite overwhelmed by 
proof that ghosts exist uh, and decides that she wants to leave at which point Joan gives her a candle and instructions for doing a seance at home. She says it's very important that the whole family be in the house when it's done and that this chant in a language she doesn't understand needs to be read in its entirety to make things start. So that's a lot of ominous stuff. I'm going to throw a handful of red flags up in the air for that. Annie then has a really weird dream that she follows a bunch of ants to Peter's room and finds them literally swarming all over his face. And he wakes up and when he asks her why you're so scared of me, she seems like completely unable to lie. Whether that's because it's a dream or not, I don't know. But she says that she never wanted to be his mother and that her mother forced her to have the baby because she, she didn't want to have it. And that she actually tried to cause a miscarriage through... Various means, she says she does everything that you aren't supposed to do when pregnant. So I guess she ate some soft cheese and drank some wine while smoking a cigarette. And um, partway through this exchange, both of them start to look wet. And obviously it's because they're covered in paint thinner. And just after lighting the fire, she wakes up. Uh, so I'll come back to this conversation later because it feeds into some of the lore behind the film. Annie then wakes up Peter and Stephen for a seance downstairs, which she heavily has to, like, convince them into uh, appearing slightly, like, crazed by this point. Uh, but she does get them to do it, and she believes that she's a medium now, and that she says she did this 20 minutes ago, so she doesn't have to read the thing again. So she's clearly read the mysterious invocation that she probably wasn't meant to read. The glass then on the table moves by itself, and... The sketchbook starts to like move a little bit but Stephen gets angry and, and takes it away and Peter starts to hyperventilate. Something which might be a window breaks and then the candle flame shoots up really high so obviously weird shit's going down. There's then some sort of horrible growling moaning noise and then Annie starts to speak with Charlie's voice which is cut abruptly short when Stephen throws a vase of water over her so good call Stephen I think I think we all agree that uh new words appear on the wall uh, I didn't have time to write them down but there are new words on the wall now now it's Peter's turn to start seeing the blue light uh, and he sees it in his classroom and he also notices that his reflection is smiling at him it's always weird when that happens we also keep hearing these tongue pops so I, I guess wherever this is they just got drag race on Netflix because uh, Tongue pops are everywhere. Stephen apparently is pissed off that Annie is involving Peter in all this and frightening him. Uh, Annie gets pissed off with Stephen, so it's pretty clear that the familial bonds of trusts are breaking down. Stephen also remarks that there is a horrible smell in the house. This is quickly forgotten about because he finds that Annie has smashed up all her miniatures, but it bears remembering because the horrible smell becomes important later. It's now Peter's turn to jump aboard the nightmare train because he has a horrible nightmare that he sees Charlie in his room and that then hands grab his head and start like pulling at it and he wakes up and then accuses Annie who's in the room of doing it but she says she just came in because he was screaming. She says that only she can fix this and they can't tell Stephen about the, the nightmares that he's having. She then takes the sketchbook which has page after page of drawings of Peter with his eyes crossed out. Uh, takes it downstairs and tries to burn it but when she does her arm catches fire from seemingly nowhere and it only goes out when she puts out the book so she's not able to destroy it without apparently catching on fire. Slightly worried at this point 
and justly so, Annie decides to go back and see Joan, but Joan ain't answering the door no more, and inside Joan's apartment we see a lot of candles, and an altar with a triangle carved in the centre of it, and a lot of Charlie's models present, and a picture of Peter, so Joan's clearly involved in this up to her eyeballs, which was not really a surprise. Peter is alone at lunch, eating lunch, as you do, at lunch, 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 when he sees Joan across the street and she's shouting, I expel you, and then seems to be doing the chant, which we know a few words of because they've been on the walls, uh, and she tells uh, Peter to get out. So it's sort of like she's trying to exercise Peter from his own body, which seems suspicious. Annie, seemingly realising that a lot of bad shit's going on, digs through her mum's stuff again and finds a book which has the necklace symbol on the cover. And when she opens it, there's a drawing of King Payment, Lord of Mischief, uh, who is said to possess a vulnerable host and that once the ritual is completed, he is locked into that host and to sort of remove him, I guess, you need to perform an unlocking ritual to enable him to move again. That he needs a male body because he is, I guess, a male spirit. And then there's another picture on the opposite page, which is titled Riches of the Conjurer and shows a person on a pile of gold. Uh, so this might be related to what her mum said in her note about how the rewards would be worth it. In the photo album, she then finds pictures of her mum with Joan and also pictures of her mum dressed in like a white dress with golden coins being like thrown onto her by a crowd of people. So seemingly simulating the riches of the conjurer uh, as if her mother was the conjurer and attempted some sort of ritual uh, to gain all this wealth. Stephen receives an email from, I guess, the graveyard keeper? Unclear. But it shows the pictures of the grave desecration, which took their bloody time coming. But by desecration, it appears they just meant dug the whole thing up and, I guess, took the body too. So uh, that's disturbing. For no real reason, Annie decides to go up in the loft. And when she opens the hatch to go up, a load of flies come out. And inside, she finds her mother's body without a head. Uh, with like a lit candle between its feet and the same symbol painted on the wall in blood. Peter is hearing a load of tongue pops and then he smacks his head up and down on his own desk while sort of having like a fit of some kind. Unclear, but it's not good, let's put it that way. Annie misses the call from the school saying, come and pick up your son. An invisible entity has pounded his face into the desk and we don't know what to do. So they call his dad and Stephen goes to pick him up. When he arrives home, he's confronted by Annie, who shows him the book and basically tries to convince him of everything she's found out. She gets him to go up in the loft, and I was convinced that it was going to be one of those things where it's like, he says that she's mad because there's no body up there, but no, the body is definitely up there. But he accuses her of being mad and having dug up her own mum and put her in the loft, which is definitely a route you could go down. She begs him to destroy the book because she says obviously she can't do it because it will hurt her and she won't be able to finish it. She pours lighter fluid on the book, says that she loves him and tries to get him to throw it in the fire, but he says he's not enabling her and her mental illness anymore. So she throws the book in the fire and then Stephen bursts into flames. So... This is one surprising book. We're now in kind of like the horror-y climax of the movie because Peter wakes up and his mum is just in the corner on the ceiling looking at him like she's in The Exorcist. He doesn't notice this and she kind of scurries away before he sees her. He goes downstairs and finds 
the the burned up body in the lounge and then he is attacked by his mum who chases him upstairs and into the loft where he like manages to pull the ladder up and shut the door interestingly the body that was in the loft is now gone there's just an outline with his picture in it a lot more lit candles again this movie is is not a great fire safety psa he then sees randomly three naked people in an alcove in the room i'll come back to these people but also more worryingly his mother is levitating above him in the loft and appears to be either rhythmically stabbing herself or soaring through her own neck with cheese wire i don't know which one is more disturbing but we see her later without a head so i'm assuming it was the latter apparently the three naked people one of whom appears to be one of his teachers because it's an old man with glasses is just too much for peter because he bails out through the window and hits the flower bed downstairs apparently dying a weird shadow kind of passes out of him and then the blue light goes in so i'm guessing he just got possessed by whatever was meant to be possessing him at this point i skipped back to go and see if i recognized the naked people i think the guy with the glasses was his teacher and the woman with the little bob haircut had previously waved at charlie through the school gates while charlie was hacking the head off a pigeon but i couldn't recognize the other woman's there so I, i'm guessing we saw her at some point in the film and i just didn't notice because i was trying to take notes peter then gets up which he should definitely not do, having just plummeted out of a third story window. Uh, but it's at this point we see the dog's body just lying in the garden. So I'm just going to say that the dog died of natural causes and nothing bad happened to that precious, precious, precious boy. There are also naked people in the woods, which I think we saw in an earlier scene, but I couldn't be sure if it was a naked person or a stump. Uh, but there's naked people watching him from the woods as he goes to the treehouse. Uh, inside there's a bunch of people like genuflecting and there's candles everywhere in the wooden treehouse there's also a model which appears to have like a crown on it it's like a kind of giant wooden mannequin which seems to be having like which seems to have his sister's head on the top wearing a crown which is disturbing joan is there she's one of the people bowing and there's a picture been hung up on the wall which says it is of queen lee which is his grandmother's last name uh, so obviously she's being honoured there as well. Joan then puts the crown on Peter's head and says, Charlie, you're all right now. Uh, and then she explains that Payman is one of the eight kings of hell, who obviously requires a male body. And so Charlie, who is, I guess, the intended vessel, has been corrected and put into Peter's body, obviously now making Charlie a boy. And then they all hail Payman. Uh, while peter or i guess charlie and peter's body just stands there looking confused and then the movie ends which is very strange now the thing that i didn't notice in literally the first thing we see in the film was that annie's brother is called charles so obviously charlie is named after charles and if charles was intended i guess as the original vessel because uh, of what they put down to as schizophrenia which was actually possession then obviously Charlie would be the one that would be chosen to, to replace him. So that's on me. Now I liked this movie. I didn't like it as much as Midsummer because I didn't find the like aesthetic of it to be as uh, kind of original and interesting as uh, Midsummer's, which obviously has a lot going on visually and is very pretty. This one felt kind of generic in, in the sense that it was set in just a house with a tree house uh, and it just seemed 
like the setting of quite a lot of other films that I had seen. That's not saying that it's not original because I think it definitely is in quite a few aspects but I feel like Midsummer was more so and it makes sense to me that Midsummer would come after this. Um, but this has the same level of like things buried in the background. Again I went away and watched uh, a video just on like the stuff that I might have missed while I was taking notes. Uh, specifically I wanted to go back and read the words uh, that appeared on the wall uh, and see the where the symbol showed up if it was in other places as well which it was and I hadn't noticed some of them. Obviously this doesn't have like the pagan connection of Midsummer, which it felt very kind of pagan very old ways. This is very lesser key of Solomon very ritual magic and nowhere and nowhere is that more clear than in the use of Payman who is uh, I've googled him. He is one of the, do I want to say characters, but he, he's a spirit named in the Lesser Key of Solomon and various other like magical texts uh, and is accredited with like a number of powers which he does seem to display in the film. Uh, one of which is making people tell the truth. On Wikipedia it says that he can reveal hidden treasures and uh, he has all knowledge on the earth and that the Liber Officiorum Spiritum broadened this to truthfully answering all questions asked of him. So maybe that's why in the dream when Annie is confronted by Peter uh, talking to her she has to answer him truthfully because the whole dream is being orchestrated by payment. Maybe that is his power and influence because a big part of the film seems to be breaking up this family unit and making them vulnerable, turning them against each other and then uh, being quite insidious in getting into the family and getting what it wants. A pretty big theme in the movie is grief uh, but also mental illness uh, because obviously it's mentioned that Annie's brother had schizophrenia, her dad had depression and obviously the title hereditary could refer to uh, a psychosis being passed down through the family affecting Annie, her children and I guess her mother as well. Uh, so that's one way you could interpret it is that it's all like mental illness and Peter is just experiencing an extreme psychotic episode at the end of the film. But also there's this idea of um, the handing down of the book with the, the, the magic spells and things and that in. And also the things being passed on are Charlie herself and the spirit of payment into Peter's body. So there's a lot of things being passed on in a hereditary sense. It is a pretty good watch. It doesn't really take off as quickly as Midsummer, becoming like weird and strange. There is quite a lot of just sort of what feels like kitchen sink drama going on because it is broadly speaking for quite a lot of the film just a bunch of people in a house having difficult conversations as opposed to a bunch of people in a very vibrant interesting setting also having difficult conversations. So I would say it's perhaps a little bit more slow going than Midsummer, and if you didn't like Midsummer at all this is definitely not the film for you but I do think there are some genuinely chilling and unsettling moments in it and weirdly this one was a 15 whereas Midsummer's an 18 and I do not get the difference because there's like an equal number of super grotesque things that happen and also naked people so I'm at a loss because honestly I think if Midsummer's an 18 so should this be. But I think if you like films that include like occult elements, witchcraft, because although no one in the film is a witch there are definitely people in it who are practicing magic and summonings so a case could be made for them being witches. 
if you like possession movies, if you like films where people use like magic or occult rituals, uh, that's definitely in there. But I feel like Midsummer has a lot more in terms of pagan imagery and, and, and more pagan subject matter than this. But this stuff definitely has some stuff in there which is is tangentially related to magic and the world of the occult so i would put it at probably not one of the most witchy films that i've reviewed but not the least witchy because it, it had enough in there that was rewarding in that sense but the majority of it does feel like you're watching a movie about possession and not one so much about like actual magic practice I hope you've enjoyed this review. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do so in the normal ways by Twitter, the YouTube comment section on the YouTube version of the podcast. Um, I get notifications from that. You can also use the email in the description box below. Uh, don't forget that there is an Amazon wishlist for the podcast. If you would like to very kindly support me by sending a book that I can review, I try and keep that up to date. You can also go to the Goodreads page. There's a, a Listopia list also linked down below on the YouTube version and on the Castbox version. Uh, where you can vote on what book you'd like to see me read next and don't forget to also go and follow me on instagram at witchfix podcast to see spells and things from the herbiary as well as just general updates on what i'm up to with some of the stuff from my unboxing videos and just generally what i've been making and doing creatively uh, aside from the podcast and in the meantime i'll see you in the next episode bye